Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Corporate Communications at Stiefel, joined, as always, by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Brian, I hope you and all our listeners had a nice Thanksgiving. Uh, Neil, thank you very much. Uh, it was quite nice. Uh, and right back, it was, it was nice, except for the the Giants-Cowboys game. Um, yeah. But uh, the holiday itself was, uh, was terrific. It was great to be with family and friends and I hope you had a, a good one as well. I did. I did. I understand about your Giants Cowboys, but I don't think you, you know, that 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 matchup, you may not have seen the last matchup of the season between those two. We'll see how it plays out. Well, plus if anybody told me at the beginning of the year that, that I'd, would be, matter. I'd be having Thanksgiving leftovers and the Giants would be seven and four, I'd yeah. sign up for that in a heartbeat. Or that the game would even matter. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's how I feel and, uh, about watching the uh, Jet games this and year. You, and you have a and you have a new quarterback for the for Gang Green. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I may be practicing next week. The way it goes, and we'll we'll it seems to go week by week. So we'll I see. I think Mike White might have a hold on this on this position for a while. We'll see. Well, I mean, not to get too heavily involved now that baseball is over with football. My recollection is we we we've seen this show before. Mike White had a few games last year. He was the back pages, the talk of the town. Zach Wilson's never going to get his job back, and then he put up a few duds, as I remember. And then all of a sudden, you know, the throne was taken away from him. So we'll see. I hope so. He looked great. So we'll see how he does against Minnesota. It's it's just nice as New York football fans. It's nice to be in December and have the games matter. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of uh, games mattering, let's let's get back to Washington. And, um, you know, the economy is sort of fragile to begin with, Brian, as we've talked a lot about. And now, pardon the pun, we have another threat that could derail the economy further. We're talking about a potential rail strike. Um, I thought we had put this to bed months ago, but apparently not. So we're getting close to Christmas. Um, obviously, a rail strike could could be very disruptive. Um, do you think it happens? Does Congress have to step in? President Biden just a short while ago today said Congress has to step in. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think a strike is probably averted. And for those who have not followed closely, what you had in the fall was a tentative agreement between management and and the heads of the unions um, to to put off a a strike, but. Um, as the union membership voted on the deal, they've rejected it. Um, so that is threatening uh, a, a strike. Um, it would happen on the 9th, although uh, the railroad management teams are already warning people that they will start um, curtailing services on the 4th, um, especially for some, I guess, uh, more sensitive and delicate um, uh, uh, freight uh, transportations, uh, like I saw ammonium, uh, ammonia, excuse me, mentioned, uh, that they, they would curtail those, but so no one wants a strike. Um, so I think there is political will to avert a strike. Um, you don't want to disrupt the holidays. Um, that said, it's a tough vote. It's a tough vote for Democrats. They've traditionally been close with labor. Uh, you know, even the president who's been very outspoken about his support for labor, um, he's acknowledged this is tough on him. Mm-hmm. Um, there have already been some accusations being thrown around at Democrats from from unions of betrayal. Um, you know, on the flip side, Republicans, they've traditionally sided with management. Um, but, you know, the party's been going through a realignment. Um, 
it's it's a more of a working class party. Um, Marco Rubio, senator, Republican senator from Florida, he came out this morning and said uh, that he's inclined to to vote with the workers um, and against averting a strike. So um, the, the politics of this are, are pretty interesting. Mm. I think a bill to avert a strike probably passes, especially because of the timing. Maybe yeah. if we were talking at a different time of the year when the holidays would not at risk, maybe that then the vote, you know, would go more in in the workers direction than it's going to probably going to go. Um, but I, I think with the with the holidays on the horizon that um, I think odds are that a, a strike is averted. But I, I, I'm going to watch this vote really closely. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be a very tight vote. I mean, there's so many supply chain issues, you know, taking out the rail strike, taking that out of the equation. There are already other supply chain issues that are impacting certain items for the holidays. So this does make it iffy. And and Biden, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday and Biden, uh, President Biden was speaking earlier today and he says he's confident that this thing will get averted. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, that may be um, kind of trying to demonstrate strength and manufacture momentum for the bill. Um, and I just, like I said, I think at the end of the day, it probably does pass, mm-hmm. but I'm not overly confident in that call. And so um, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this vote very, very closely. It's going to be a tight vote. Well, speaking of potential holiday disruptions, you talked about there being this overall desire in Washington to avoid them. So does that mean no government shutdown? Another issue that we've been talking about over the last couple of months? Yeah, I, I think uh, avoiding a shutdown is easier than avoiding a strike. Um, I'm more confident in that, that, that the government will stay open. Um, the current continuing resolution, as we call it, which is a temporary spending bill, the current CR ends on December 16th. Um, you know, you mentioned the president. Uh, he met with congressional leaders today and everybody's kind of singing from the same hymnal that, yeah, we want to get a an omnibus spending bill done that would that would cover the rest of the fiscal year. Um, and I, I think it's pretty clear no one wants a shutdown, um, especially ahead of Christmas. Um, but, you know, how we get there you know, what the end game is, is, is very unclear. Um, Congress has several options that could kick the can down the road, maybe just pass. They're good uh, at that. They're, uh, they're very good at that. Good I mean, at that. you know, yes. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, pass a, a one or two week CR that gives Congress more time to figure out a longer term bill. Um, there's a growing a scenario that's growing in likelihood. I wouldn't say that it's the 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 leading outcome yet, but maybe doing what they refer to as a full year CR, um, which would be a spending bill that takes us through the end of the fiscal year, September 30, 2023, but locks in spending levels at 22 levels, so no increases, um, and. You know, there are people who think that's a good thing, right? They're saying, oh, you know, we the government spends too much. We've got to reduce government spending. And if we if we go flatline, that's fine. Um, and I'm not going to dispute that point. People are entitled to to that view, but there are implications if that goes, if that happens. Um, there's no increase in defense spending. You're, you know, we would spend at last year's levels. And if you think that the defense department and the military is already stretched, 
then it's going to be more stretched when they don't get any increase. Um, people remember in 2021, passed a bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, that sets in an expectation of increases year over year as you ramp up the spending of those infrastructure programs. Mm-hmm. Well, Congress, if they do a full year CR, CR is only going to appropriate the same monies as last year. So the ex- expectation of additional monies is not going to come to fruition for the year. So um, I wouldn't ca- quite call it austerity, but you know, it, it's it would be a flat fiscal picture. And then, you know, then you have implications of what that means for the Fed as well. It, it does complicate their right. th- their job as well. Right. And then you've got wild cards like Ukraine and you've got COVID, all these things that could require some level of spending increases. And then you're you're sort of frozen up. So you got, I'm sorry, did you were going to say something? No, no. Oh, sorry. So um, so in that case, there would there would would there be any actual cuts in spending? So probably not. There, there, there is a mechanism in the law, and I'm going to call it sequestration. That's what it is, um, because Congress has failed to meet pre-established budget targets. Um, they always go over them, even with a full year CR. You're going to go over these budget targets, and in the law, there's a sequestration um, to to pull back money. Um, that would be the spending cuts. Now, Congress typically goes in and waives the sequestration, waives these PAYGO rules. Um, uh, and, and you know, I've been looking specifically at Medicare reimbursements, um, uh, municipal finance programs. Um, they would be subject to these, um, to these sequestration cuts. Um, and like I said, you know, Congress always waives these. But I do wonder this time around, given the fact that we haven't even gotten to a top line agreement on the overall spending levels, whether the, the confusion, the chaos and the uncertainty of the spending bill, is it is that going to complicate waiving sequestration? I think at the end of the day, probably no. And that and that sequestration will be waived and and the reimbursements from Medicare will go on and and uh, municipal finance payments to the to from the federal government to state and local governments will continue as is, um, but it's a higher risk than it normally is. Again, something else to to watch during the month of December and, and the lame duck. Well, it, I mean, it is a lame duck, but it it does seem you're like you're outlining a busy few weeks. No, it, it's a busy few weeks. You know, and I always go in thinking um, lame ducks are notorious for under delivering. Um, uh, it, 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 they're kind of limited to must-do. And what we're talking about here are a, a lot of must-do pieces of legislation. So that that will crowd out some other discretionary items. But those those other items that don't have to be done, um, their, their sponsors are looking for the budget or the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, as vehicles from which to pass those. So um, you know, we just went through a, a, a slew of different items and, and legislative initiatives, but there's also the Safe Banking Act, which would allow depositories to bank the cannabis industry where cannabis is legal. The Secure Act 2.0, which is a retirement security uh, legislation. Senator Durbin has another credit card payments bill out. Um, he did a debit card bill back in Dodd-Frank. He's looking now to extend that to credit card payments. Um, as well as, you know, this not market moving, but the electoral vote count reform bill, 
all being added to the, uh, the NDAA. The Safe Banking Act may switch over from NDAA to the budget. A lot of moving parts here, but it, it's it's a really busy few weeks um, to, you know, and, and you have a bunch of lawmakers who are retiring, who lost office, who just want to get out of town. They want to pack up their offices and go back home. Yeah. Um, so that, that complicates um, getting out ahead of the holidays and finishing what, what you can see is a long list of things that has to get done. Yeah. Well, everyone's running to go get out of Washington. We've got a couple of folks that are trying to get into Washington because hard to believe December starts this week, but we still don't really have the final election numbers, right? We're, I, I know it won't necessarily make a difference in control, but we do still have that one lone Senate race that's that has yet to be decided in Georgia, right? Exactly. Um, and ahead of that election, which is a week from today, we're, we're talking on a Tuesday. It's it's the election will be the runoff will be Tuesday, December 6th. Senate Republicans are not going to want to make any compromises on the budget or the NDAA um, in fears that of deflating conservative support in Georgia for Herschel Walker. Um, so um, that that further complicates the calendar and, and the completion of the lame duck agenda. Um, and people outside of Washington are going to say, oh, you know, this doesn't matter. Democrats already have 50 votes. They have the majority in the Senate. Um, people in D.C. think this matters. Um, and, and when you think about it from an inside the beltway perspective and even outside the beltway a little bit, um, it does matter. It may not move markets. I don't think there's going to be a market reaction if the Georgia election goes one way or the other. But it does matter. Um, and it, it, what I tell people is, look, you know, if, if uh, in a 50-50 Senate, the committees are all divided 50-50. And therefore, the committee chairman does not have the ability to subpoena anybody unless he can get bipartisan support. He or she can get bipartisan support. Well, with a 51-49 ratio, well, then the Democrats will have a one-seat majority on every committee. And now a committee chairman can issue subpoenas to testify before their committee just based on Democratic votes. It does matter. Um, And the Democrat is currently ahead. Yes. Um, Senator Warnock is going up as the incumbent. Um, He's looking for a full term. He's going up against the Republican Herschel Walker. Warnock just eased out Walker in the uh, Warnock, I'm sorry, just eased out Walker in the November election in Georgia, you know, in order to avert a runoff, you got to, the winner has to clear 50%. That didn't happen. Um, I, th- I think going into next week, you have to view uh, Warnock as the favorite. He did finish first the first time around. And Herschel Walker was probably, he probably benefited from having the governor's race at the same time in which the Republican Governor Brian Kemp won re-election. Um, and I think that prop, there were some coattails that helped Walker there. And without Kemp on the ballot this time, I, I think that's going to hurt Walker. But it's it's a runoff. Yeah. And as we've seen, expectations were were turned upside down in November. Runoffs are even more difficult to, uh, yeah. to forecast than handicap. So, And I would assume, I mean, I don't know the history of it, but I would assume turnout is probably lower for a runoff because to your point, there's not a governor's race anymore to motivate people. It's just a single race. Or am I wrong about that? One would think so. But the early reports of, of early voting in Georgia suggest big turnout. Wow. Um, and so, uh, and the turnout two years ago, now that was for the majority, so it, it carried more weight. Um, that was also surprisingly 
um, strong. Now, we, it will be down from November um, on a comparative basis, but I, I don't I don't expect overly weak turnout. I think people will be surprised by how many people vote in the in the runoff. All right. Well, we'll have to uh, wait and see. And that could be a topic for our next episode because we're we're out of time for this edition of Potomac Perspective. Brian, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us as always. Thank you, Neil. And don't forget, you can download all our episodes from the podcast platform of your choice. And we'll talk to everybody next time.